0: Welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast. In this episode, we're talking deer tracking with Calvin Dennis from Scent Hunter Tracking. right, welcome to the MI Hunting Podcast as always. Thank you for listening. So this episode was another good one. Uh, I had calvin from scent hunter tracking come back on uh if you remember he was on for episode 51 Uh, so if you haven't listened to that one that's a good one to listen to again Uh, because he kind of goes through kind of what his process is and this kind of talks dog tracking or tracking deer with dogs in general and then so this episode focused on a lot of the data that he collected throughout the course of the season from and he basically you know did a breakdown of The success rate of recoveries based on the means of take, uh, the type of equipment being used, and he also tracked another big one was uh, the duration of all the tracks he did, and he compiled all this data. And some of the some of the data that he presented is pretty interesting in regards to uh, some of the things that you wouldn't really necessarily think uh, that would be the case. So especially when regards to uh, the, the broadhead type, you know. There's a big debate on what type of broadhead is used and which one's better, and this one kind of paints some interesting uh, figures that you know at least from one season uh, can get kind of thrown in the mix there. And the next big one was really the length of tracks that he did. Uh, it was amazing the the average length of a track that he would go on. You know, certainly much further than what anyone would really anticipate. Uh, so really, it kind of hammers in the idea of you know potentially you know if you're gonna be you know doing a solo track by yourself you know, some of these distances are quite daunting and it's very easy for us as you know hunters to get you know frustrated confused start missing sign so that's why it's you know one of those things that a dog you know bringing dog in uh, could really help you uh, in regards to the, you know getting that track or potentially having a better chance of maybe not missing something and losing your deer i do have the preference to uh during this recording i didn't realize it until after we were done that i did have some audio issues so i did have to do some corrections a lot of uh, manipulating of the auto audio to try to get the sound right so if there are times where the sound sound or the the audio is distorted or you know some of the things don't quite sound all that good you know that was again my fault on you know, not realizing that one of the microphones was going out, and so I had to do a lot of manipulating in that regard. Also, on this one, uh, we're not going to have the video. I basically had a a video camera going, uh, basically, you know, recording us sitting and talking and going over this data. That data as well got corrupted, and I wasn't able to use it or couldn't get to transfer over properly. So it's going to be, you know, For the ones that go on YouTube, you know, it's basically I'm just going to kind of leave the the title screen. I am going to throw on, though, the papers from uh, Calvin's, you know, data. So while you're listening, if you do go on to YouTube, you can actually, you know, look at the actual data uh, that he has typed out or calculated out as well. But outside of that, it's going to be a pretty boring watch if you decide you want to watch the video. And then also wanted to highlight that, again, this is the last week of August uh you know hunting season is really starting to get you know right around the corner here and then also we've got several of the early seasons opening up so what we got coming up is the liberty hunt Uh, that is going to be september 9th and 10th again that's for youth hunters and hunters with disabilities then we also have the early antlerless season that one's september 16th and the 17th now again that one the tricky thing is with that one it is for private land only So if you don't have some private ground to hunt, then fortunately you don't get to participate in that unless you got someone that does that allows you to hunt on their property. And then of course we got small game season opening up September 15th, and that's gonna open up for rabbit season, uh, squirrel, woodcock, and rough grouse. So if you're a small game hunter, you're looking forward to that here in the next few weeks as well. And then it's really just getting crunch time for, for deer season. So you can already start to feel it in the weather you know we're getting some of those more crisp mornings I'm already starting to see some of the trees starting to turn as I'm driving around so it's starting to get that time where you know a lot of people are still trying to hang on to summer and especially us as hunters we're starting to look forward to fall so but I'm not gonna hang on this for too long because so we're gonna get right into the conversation with Calvin well you want know, let's start with an update so you've you went through the certification with willow yep and you've got another dog that's in training yep scout scout uh and then now you're in collaboration with another tracker as well that's correct so uh, i guess let's dive into let's just talk about the collaboration who you partnered up with and you know why you guys grouped up together and what service that's going to provide
1: yeah a lot of uh, a lot of big changes this year um all for the better obviously but um So this year uh, I took and brought on Brian Kendall, a guy out of Caliva, who's a deer tracker. He's been doing it three years. Uh, This season will be his fourth year. He's got a uh, porcelain hound, which is similar to a bloodhound, uh, all-white dog. Uh, He's got a really good dog. He's got about 50 tracks under his belt. Okay. Um, And really the collaboration between that was is – Last year I became friends with Brian, kind of one of those deals that the tracking list came out and I seen it on there and it said Manistee County. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. I've tracked Manistee County, but I've never seen him before or heard of him. So I gave him a call and said, Hey, you know, uh, told him who I was, told him what I did. And, uh, we got to become really good friends. And throughout the season last year, um, as some people that have followed my Facebook page probably have seen, Brian and I did some tag team tracks last year, um, he came out on a track with me on a couple occasions and then i went out on a couple of tracks with him as well as uh we had a track that willow had done four in the previous day and uh the the specific buck we tracked um was a liver shot deer it was like 16 hours old and we had gone in there thinking 16 hours was plenty of time for that deer to die and it was still alive and i kind of decided that night after we found the deer still alive jumped him i said you know what willow's run pretty much out of all energy for the for the day and for probably even the next day so i called brian up and we that was kind of a tag team track so with that said um kind of talked with brian a little bit and said hey you know this is kind of what i'm thinking uh would you be interested in joining the scent hunter team brian doesn't work for me um he, he's not in any way shape or form paying me and i'm not getting anything out of it out of it other than exposure for both of us um, and I thought it would just be kind of nice for, you know, northern Michigan doesn't have a lot of trackers in general and so I wanted to be able to promote that there is a couple guys up here that are doing that put them on our team Be able to have people and, and really, you know I think a lot of in general a lot of people enjoy looking at the Facebook page and seeing the success Obviously, there's a lot of downs with that, but the success of finding people's deer, and I wanted to bring Brian in on that. Brian's not much of a Facebook guy,
0: <laughs> so um,
1: he, he said, you know, you do a really good job at writing all your stories, and I like seeing all that stuff. He said, I want to join in on some of that, and I said, all right, cool, so let's do it.
0: Nice. And then, so you guys are going to handle, I mean, what's kind of what your what range of uh, counties or areas are you guys going to cover? So,
1: um we're, we're going to be, uh, you know, he's, he's Manistee County, I'm Benzie County, but as a whole, um, we're going to travel time-willing to different counties, you know, um, Grand Traverse, Leelanau, Benzie, Manistee. We've been down to Mason County, Lake County. Um, so it's all dependent on the day and how the tracks are going. We might be close to one in, you know, Ludington when we're in Manistee already. But obviously, if we get a track in Leelanau County and we're in Mason County, it's a little hard to, you know, make that span. So um, it'll be kind of time dependent on where we're at for the time of the day and where that next track is. But that's the the benefit to having both Brian and I now is, you know, if, if Brian's already in Manistee County and there's a track in Manistee County and he can take it, I'll let him take that one. Because maybe there'll be another one of Benzi or Leelanau that I can grab, and we'll kind of work both both aspects of it. So,
0: gotcha. And then you and Brian are both are now certified.
1: Yep. So, uh, we did some more off-season season training after last season. Um, got Willow ready and took her through the UBT one track this year, and it was a flawless run for her. Um, kind of a unique story and kind of kind of cool on my part um, when I signed up to take the test again to have Willow certified uh the, the judge that we ended up with, a guy named Eric Peterson who tracks downstate, um, he got a hold of me and said, hey, you know, let's schedule this day. And uh, when we got there that day, he said, uh, just so you know, he said, we had judges fighting over you. And I said, w- what do you mean fighting over me? He said, well, we don't every day we don't get parsons russell terriers and he said a lot of the judges like to get different breeds and he said we had a lot of guys trying to fight over who was going to do your judging he said but obviously you see who won right. <laughs> so we were able to go down and do that test um and i say a flawless run i didn't have any callbacks no recalls um willow pretty much jumped on the line and and went right to it and that that ubt run is uh four to five hundred yards long Two ninety-degree turns, and it was a it was a pretty good run. I was pretty impressed with her.
0: How old is that? How old is the trail then? It's that three they,
1: to four hours long.
0: Three to four. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yep. So, um, and on that same day, uh, Brian and I actually followed each other down. My wife went with me. His wife went with him. We both both drove separate vehicles, but uh, he actually ran his UBT two that day, and he passed and succeeded in that too. So.
0: And that's a, basically just a higher classification for yep. longer tracks, older next trails. Step up. Yep. Okay. Yep. And then, um, so I guess, what are the, you know, by going through that process, what, you know, what benefit does that have for you?
1: Uh, really, now, um, you know, there's some there's some state changes in the laws this year and the rules, guidelines of tracking. But prior to, uh, you know, the UBT was kind of a requirement to become a state certified tracker. Um, this year, that's changed a little bit. So really, it's more the UBT testing is more just for that the dog and the handler um it's and i say dog and handler it's more for the handler because the dog doesn't know any different that they have a certificate or not but uh, more to just prove that your training is doing what you're supposed to be doing and proving that you're putting the time and the effort in and that's really what it comes down to um you know when i first got into it three years ago i i really didn't know much about it and so um, doing your research putting the work in and really coming down to the fact that you're doing the time and the labor to get your dog where it needs to be successfully. Um, you know, there there unfortunately there is guys out there that just have a dog and they say I have a deer tracking dog, but they don't put the work in. You know, if I could uh add up all the hours that I've put into training, I'd have another full-time job. You know, but it takes a lot of work to get your dog prepped and primed to where you want it to be. And I'm really excited about this season to see what Willow's going to do because she's coming into her third season. A lot of the, the veteran guys that have been tracking say usually the three, four year mark is where they really start to show you that they're in their prime. And I think Willow's really going to surprise me this year. Yeah, she really started to surprise me at the end of last year.
0: Yeah, I mean even the the track that we did that was early, well earlier in the season. Yep. Um, I mean that was that track was what. It was at least a twelve-year-old or twelve-hour track.
1: Yeah, I would say somewhere in that twelve to fourteen-hour range.
0: And I mean, she stuck her nose in that first track, and I think she All paused went. once at the edge of the field, yep. and then not again the whole rest of the track.
1: Yeah, yeah and it was, uh, you know, kind of cool for for us. Did the podcast last year and talked about it, and then you were actually at my house picking up some swag that day, and said, "Hey, I'm going to hunt on the farm tonight. Are you going to be available?" And I said, "Yeah." And then three okay. hours later, you called me. And so it was kind of cool to see it come full circle. Yeah. And the other cool part about that is, is, um, I mean, not obviously that I, it was cool that you called me because obviously you were in that position. But, you know, I've had a few people that watch the podcast and then they seen your picture on Facebook and said, man, what, what a cool full story to, to watch it come all the way around, to have you talk about it and know what to do next. And you did everything, you know, like we'd hoped. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I know that. I mean. Again, even just a little bit of seeing the the you know the more posts and more you know stories about people using dog tracking, and sure. then you and then you being part of that, you know, it was very it was something I was certainly interested in, especially too after seeing yeah. you know all your posts and seeing Willow work. Like, I've even gone so far, I've changed a little bit of my arrow setup. Sure. So I could, like, basically I added wraps to my arrows. Yep. So I could be like, okay, I can get a better idea of what type <laughs> of blood it is. And, like, adding white fletching to it is, like, things I didn't think about before that I might need to know after the shot's made. Like, right. usually you don't think about that when you put your arrow together. You're like, all right, it's, you know, the what, arrow flight and stuff like that. What but bright
1: colors can I find in the woods after I shoot the arrow? That's yeah. usually what people think of. You know, when I was there, I mean, I used to shoot bright green or bright orange or, you know, something that I could find the arrow after I made the shot. Yep. But now, thinking forward, what can I do to see the blood on the arrow? What can I do to, to make it easier, not only for yourself, but if you happen to have somebody come in?
0: Yep, exactly. And, again, before last season, never never thought about that type of stuff. Never even occurred <laughs> yeah. to me. Yeah. But um, And you did say that there are state uh, changes to the state. Um, or the regulation yep, so let's go over some of those yep. fine so, points.
1: Um, so they did change this year the the rules the regulations for deer tracking um, Most for the better um, and I wouldn't say there's anything real major But so they're gonna allow off lead tracking this year. So before in the state of Michigan you had to use uh, a leash to track with your dog They had to be on leash all the time uh, this year. They're gonna allow off lead tracking I'm not going to sit here and go word for word. I think we talked, you might put this up so people can read it, but um, you have to have control of the dog and demonstrate knowledge of the dog's location and a method to do that. So uh, what a lot of guys are using is GPS collars. Um, You can show them on your phone. So you're out doing a deer track somewhere, DNR stops you and says, hey, where's your dog? you need to be able to pull up on your phone and show them or on your GPS locator and say, hey, my dog's right here. And then if they ask you to, you need to bring your dog back. Your dog needs to come back right away. They need to see that your dog can come back to you right away and that you have um, full control over your dog.
0: Gotcha. Okay. So
1: that's one of the big changes. Um, For me, uh, I'm not going to track off lead. That's just not something I've done. I've not done any training with it, Um, and and I'll just leave it at that. That's just kind of where I stand. I still like to see my dog work, and I want to be able to be in full control of my dog. So um, Some of the other changes they came up with is – uh, beforehand if you were not a state certified deer tracker you didn't have to register with the DNR so like the past two years for me I was able to just go out and track and um, it wasn't a big deal now anybody who wants to track deer has to be registered through the state so what that's gonna do is this just, just is gonna allow the DNR to know who's in the woods with a dog and when they're tracking when I say that as when they're tracking Every single track that we go on this year has to go through the Report All Poaching Hotline. So we're going to have to call in all of our tracks, tell them the hunter's name, give them their info, uh, the location of where we're at at the time, and obviously we'll give them my name, and they're just going to make sure that we're listed under that registered portion. And then that'll just give the DNR that ability to say, hey, if something were to happen, um, was this tracker out here and did you dispatch that 1230 at night or whatever it may be um, and i say dispatch at night so now being a registered tracker in the state of michigan you have the ability that if the deer is still alive at 1230 at night you can use whatever the weapon of choice is to put that deer down um, to end the suffering
0: yeah and then i don't remember um when before you got registered before you got certified could you track at night or did it have to be there in daylight
1: nope we could track you could track, Day or night.
0: but then you yep. couldn't. the hunter couldn't take the, you know, their bow yep. or firearm so the, with them. So the
1: big difference for the last two years for me is I didn't have the ability to, to have that hunter carry their weapon. Yep. And that'll be a big change for this year um, is anybody who's tracking is able to have that hunter weapon of the season carry with them. Um, you know, there's pluses and minuses. Obviously, the pluses are we can put down that deer and end the suffering. Um, we can also, because there's times where... You come up on a deer and it's alive still how far are we gonna push it again you know maybe it got pushed the night before now we come up to it are we gonna push it again even further Uh, the hope is obviously we can end that suffering right then and there Um, there's a lot of safety with that though I mean there's gonna be a lot of things that are gonna come about so um, my take on it is um, you know compound bow is no big deal because obviously you have to load one so arrows need to stay in the quiver crossbows will not be loaded until the point of kill and that's part of the law
0: yep yeah they made a point of that that you're not going to have you know you're not going to be locked and loaded correct during the track yep
1: uh, and with that you know um even gun season and i've taken this from a lot of the veteran guys who've been doing this for a while uh, they'll actually take if it's during rifle season they'll actually take the bullets from the hunter and put them in their pocket and it isn't until the point of kill that they hand them the bullet and say, okay, here you go. And it's just a safety factor. Um, there is an instance last year that happened to a tracker in a state that um, it was legal, but the, the, the hunter was carrying a crossbow, and it was loaded. And just an unfortunate mishap, the, the tracker was actually shot in the back of the leg with a crossbow. Oh. And so that's just the safety features that, you know, you have to be mindful of, Um and there's a podcast out there with that tracker that talks about his unfortunate mishap yeah but he explains um you know what happened and he doesn't put any blame on the hunter you know i mean that's just part of the deal so yeah but for me being safe that that's just not gonna happen plus it's it's a rule that you can't carry you know a loaded weapon so
0: yep and then let's see is there anything else
1: I don't think, I mean, you can do, uh, and it's, it, it registers right in there. It says wounded deer, elk, bear. Oh. Um, so the, those are all animals that can be tracked.
0: Yep. And then it's only the the licensed hunter that can dispatch Correct. the animal, So the tracker can't do it themselves. Correct. or. Yep. We yep. don't
1: have tracker dispatch in this state.
0: Yep. So I think that's about it for the, the um, yeah. The law. Right. You did mention though, you've, You talked about, about, you know, having the report that if you guys are out there at night and dispatch an animal. Right. You know, we did talk about that a little bit before we started recording that, you know, that could be pretty important when it comes to, you know, like you said, November 18th. And all of a sudden someone hears a shot at, you know.
1: And that's why they make you do that. Um, They want to just know that if, you know, at 2 in the morning, you and I are out tracking your deer on November 18th. And uh, let's say you gut shot it and we happen to come up on it, it's bedded down. And you take that shot and you shoot it and kill it. Um, you know, the neighbor doesn't hear that gunshot and call either DNR or call 911 and say, hey, I just heard a gunshot. They can go on their, you know, report our poaching uh, list and they can just look and say, oh, yeah, we've got Trocker Kelvin out with such and such. And we know that that's why they did what they did and they put that deer down. And, and it's an end story instead of chasing down leads and trying to figure out what happened.
0: Yep. yep and again once you're done with your track you report hey we're done yep
1: you just call the call the number back you just say hey we're done um we finished this track and a lot of the times um uh, again i didn't have to do this last year but the couple tracks i went with brian they'll usually ask the the dispatchers usually interested Mm -hmm. and uh, they'll say did you find it or that you know "Oh, okay cool that was really good so yeah it's just a matter of closing that track out
0: yeah so Yeah. yeah so i mean again you were quite worried earlier this year that they were going to come out with a bunch of rules that are going to make it much more difficult and almost kind of problematic for anyone that wants to try to be a good tracker and help people find deer where it's going to be almost discouraging from people to actually want to do that.
1: Right. Yeah. They had some kind of some uh, different regulations on the table um, that were, were going to be for the benefit of a lot of the people that were already tracking. But harder for people that wanted to get into it and I think this kind of opens the doors for both aspects of it It still allows you to be a tracker. It still allows you to be a new tracker It just makes sure that you're being safe and you're registered through the state. So uh, The other thing that this does and it happens. I mean everybody Has a scenario. That's a tracker that can tell you um, you know you shoot a deer and You make four phone calls to four different deer trackers within your area, and it's November 2nd. And so those four trackers are busy. And uh, what this is gonna do is it's gonna stop your buddy from bringing his couch dog out to try to put on a deer, hopefully. Because again, what that's doing is um, it's gonna stop the guys that just think that, oh, I have a couch dog and I'm gonna bring it out and I'm gonna charge you $200 they at least have to be certified through the state. So the state knows who you are. Uh, They're not verifying that, you know, you actually have a tracking dog, but that's what some of the groups out there too, that, that promote tracking dogs do as well. They kind of promote that these people are certified. They know what they're doing. They've been uh, around the block a time or two that at least they can prove that they've had a tracking dog that, that finds
0: deer. Yeah. And then, Again, I, I don't know exactly where the step is, but isn't there an app that's coming out that has a list of trackers and, like, their contact information that you, if you want to, you could reach out to?
1: Yeah. So uh, that's another part of the, the big news for us this year is, uh, so we talked a little bit last year about the different groups that are out there and how trackers can be found. Um, the United Blood Trackers is one of them. That's one we've been part of the Michigan deer trackers. That's another one we've been part of. You've probably seen the map. It's listed all the names. Um, the Michigan deer tracking network is another one that's out there. And that's more of the bigger one of the three for Michigan. And they do a very limited amount of people that, that they allow onto their, uh, group and their network. And so this year they had an application process. They had everybody, uh, put an application that was interested in being a part of their group. And, uh, There was three of us selected. I don't know how many people applied, but there was only three selected to be put onto their group this year. We were one of them. So we were kind of excited about that. And so through the Michigan Deer Tracking Network, uh, they're coming out with their own app. And honestly, I'm not 100% certain on how it's going to work because it's new, and uh, <laughs> we actually have a, a, a group picnic tomorrow down in Lansing that we're going to be at that they're going to unveil the app and to kind of tell us all about it. So Okay. Uh, it'll be kind of a learning process for me, but w- from what I know of it, it's going to be a, an app that's available with all the Michigan Deer Tracking Network guys in it, and uh, you're going to go on there. Uh, you're going to be able to find the location that you're at, click the the area it's gonna bring up all the trackers that are in their area and then you're gonna put your information in there and what that'll do is it'll come across on our end for us to see that hey there's somebody that wants to track in this location and from there we're gonna be able to select it and say okay I want that track and select it so everybody's gonna get kind of a turn on whether they get to take the track or not and then uh, people can accept it through that app again that's just kind of how I see it
0: yeah and again, I think that's going to be more beneficial—not necessarily for you guys, the trackers right. per se—but for someone that you know, like you said, if it gets busy yep. during the rut time frame, you know, early November, opening day, you know, first you know weekend sure. of firearm season. I mean, there's going to be a lot of people that yeah. kill a lot of you in the same area, and their tracker is going to be tied up. So if there is a tracker that's free if they're willing to travel a little bit further. Sure. they can help that person and, out.
1: And the other, the other side of that is too, is. Um not that there's not going to be phone calls, because obviously our numbers are listed, but it'll take some of the phone calls away, and it'll be in the app form versus, you know, having that hunter have to pick up the phone and dial 14 different phone numbers. They can go in the app and send it once and hope that of those 14 calls they were going to make, one of those 14 trackers will take theirs without even having to call. So it'll it'll probably speed up the process a little bit, and it'll make it more efficient. Um, but yeah excited to see how everything rolls out with it this year
0: yeah so. yeah again good luck with the picnic then hopefully it
1: yeah it should be interesting we're gonna take the drive down tomorrow it's uh it's a little bit of a drive but it'll be it'll be fun we're gonna you know a lot of those guys i've either met once or twice or i see them on facebook but i don't really know who <laughs> they are so right it'd be nice to put a, a name and a face together and, and talk to them yeah but, yep it should be a good time Good. Bunch of guys standing around talking about their
0: dogs. <laughs> right. How many do you think will be bring their dogs? Or is it are they I don't know
1: if anybody like there'll probably be a few guys with their dogs. Yeah. Um, there's fifty of us on that list, so there'll be at least fifty guys. <laughs> 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 it should be good.
0: All right. Well, hey, I mean again, we've got I mean, two weeks before people first, first start so. hunting this year. Yeah. And then I mean, October first isn't that far away, so coming up? quick yep Yep. yeah and then so the i mean let's get into really the the big reason why i wanted to especially have you come back in because out of you know the last seasons that you've been doing you've you've gone above and beyond and collected a ton of data on the tracks you did and you basically compiled a list of the tracks you did and the success rates and the means of take essentially sure so you broke that all down, so let's, let's get into that because that's got a lot of really good data and information that people can, can sit, take into consideration. Um,
1: yeah, I mean, so this, this kind of came from, uh, I you know, watched a video one day, a guy named Shane Simpson who tracks out of uh, Minnesota, and he does something similar to this, um, just collecting some data throughout the season, and they have compiled, I would say, probably five or six years' worth of data obviously this is a small portion of that this is only a year for me um and and so i thought it was kind of unique um i'm not so sure after the first season of doing it that it was worth it (laughs) and i only say that because it takes a lot of time and effort um and it's every track that you go on you have to remember all the details and so i try to do all that during the beginning of the track and you know when i first take that phone call i'm writing a lot of this information down so i have it Um, but it takes the information of you know what kind of bow were you shooting, what kind of broadhead were you shooting. I don't specifically break it down to brand, but at (laughs) least a a, a mechanical versus a fixed blade. Um, And I try to get all that information and put it together and compile a list. Now, what does it mean? This year it doesn't mean anything. But five years from now, it'll probably mean something that I can bring back to you and say, hey, between five years of data collection – your best opportunity to kill a deer is to shoot a compound bow with this broadhead or a crossbow with this broadhead uh, is it for sure no but it gives you some good data to look at so the way i have it broke down here is uh we did 55 tracks last year of the 55 tracks 50 of them were archery the other five were firearm or a muzzleloader yep um, so we'll, we'll just get started the the compound bows. I did 24 tracks last year that were compound bows um, That's 48 48 percent of my tracks um, And then we break down between those the fixed blade and the mechanical broadhead So the fixed blade broadhead I did 10 total tracks that were shot out of a compound bow We recovered five of those and then obviously we re- didn't recover the other five so 50 percent recovery rate um, mechanical broadheads we did 14 tracks out of a compound bow We recovered 12 of those, but we didn't recover two. So, you know, you can go back and and look, and I have all this data. I can probably go back even further and say, okay, where was that deer shot with this broadhead? Now, the thing that we don't know is the ones that I didn't recover. Do we really truly know where that deer was shot? Right. Um, As we get further into some data, I have, it's more or less a guess on my end, because I'm only going off of what the hunter tells me. You know, so you tell me on my grid chart that you shot it at C9. I'm only going off of that. But if we don't find the deer, I really don't know where you hit it. Right. You know, we could put together a little information and say, okay, well, I believe you hit the deer here. And here's why. Because of the blood color, the sign that we seen, the bed that we found, where the blood was at, uh, maybe the color hair that we have. You know, so all that stuff kind of goes into that. But again, it's still a guess on my part. So, yeah. so again, um, compound bow. We did a total of seventeen recoveries out of twenty-four tracks, seventy-one percent. So that's not bad.
0: Yep. And then you had broken it down too for the for the fixed blade. You had a fifty percent recovery rate um, out of those tracks you did, and then for the mechanicals was jumped up to eighty-five. Yeah. Now probably because of those mechanicals having those larger cutting diameters, you could you could s- speculate all you want. We can speculate. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's why I say five years from now it would probably be a little bit better information to put all these years together and say, okay, this is really truly what we have. Now, it, it very well could turn the table and look totally different next year. We don't know.
0: Right? Yeah, because I mean, if you know, if you're out there, if you're big in the archery, you know, there's the de- big debate between sure. the mechanical fixed blade. It's, it's huge ca- crowd. Yep. Um, and like you said, this plenary. But I mean, it shows that the mechanicals are potentially performing better than those or those fixed blades are
1: and you know the other side of that too um that i'm not really sure on is it would be interesting too and again it would take more work on my end but to ask these people that shoot i and, and i didn't break it down for yardage but if it was a fixed blade broadhead over 40 yards to ask that hunter do you practice at 40 yards with your fixed blade because that makes a big difference too i mean if you're shooting a fixed blade broadhead and you've never shot it over 40 yards but you took a shot at 47 yards with it well that would make sense why you didn't kill the deer because you've never shot it past that to know whether it flies true or not right um so so again is it 85 percent recovery rate because they were within 25 yards and they Practiced all the time because typically, you know, a mechanical blade will fly true to a field point. Fixed blade broadheads tend at times to not fly true like a field point. So, again, speculate all you want. This is the data that I have. Mean anything? Probably not yet. Yeah. But it's interesting to see. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, truly enjoy seeing some of this stuff.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, like you said, looking at the these two figures like there's too many variables you can't make a determination of exactly what's going on sure. yet you, know, sure. you would need to know like you said shot placement yep distance of the shot yep you know
1: th- and i have a lot of that
0: information i really do
1: it'd just be a matter of breaking it down even further I right mean, this is this is long enough to down break <laughs> it down but you know it's it's fun to me and it's unique and especially after the season's done I've got time to sit down and really go through this, and it's it's interesting to me as we get further here too. I broke it even down into the distance in yards and how many how many yards we tracked, and that's interesting data to me. That's probably more interesting than these broadhead. Yeah. Um, but
0: yeah, but it's more fun to talk about this. It's more of a hot topic. It
1: is. It is. Yeah. So uh, crossbows. So we did 20 26 tracks last year. So two more tracks than we did with the compound. 52% of them. Uh, fixed blade broadheads we did 11 total tracks of the 11 tracks that we did with a fixed blade broadhead out of a crossbow we only recovered two deer nine of those were not recovered so 18% recovery rate now again how many of those people practice with their broadhead out of their crossbow I don't know the answer to that was it further distance than they've ever shot before I don't know the answer to that too what it comes down to no matter where this data lies did you practice how much did you practice and have you shot further distances than what you shot at that deer yep because i've had numerous times where i've gotten to a place and said how far was the deer oh it was 42 yards i'll turn them turn to him right away and ask him, have you ever practiced shooting your bow at 40 yards? Well, no, but my crossbow has that line in it, so I just figured it was okay. Yep.
0: So. Yeah, that was one I was, especially too, I mean, that's, so you did the fixed blade was 18%. Mechanicals, again, did much better in regards that you had a 60% recovery rate. So they did perform a little bit better, at least in regards to that recovery rate. Now, Uh,
1: one I would like to talk about with this mechanical broadhead, um, i had a a scenario last year a guy shot a deer from a ground blind at uh, 30 yards with a crossbow and a fixed blade broadhead he calls me about an hour after he shot the deer he gets out of his blind he goes and kind of checks and he takes some pictures and um, he sends them to me and he calls me and he says hey i shot this deer um he says i'm not really sure but what do you think and i looked at the blood and i'm like go track your deer it's dead guarantee it dead deer So he started tracking it, and he called me back about 45 minutes later. And I said, oh, okay. So I looked at it. Oh, Dave's calling me, answered the phone. Hey, how's it going? He's like, you'll never believe this. And I'm like, what? He said, I jumped that deer up, and it took off running. I said, you're kidding me. He said, no. He said, that deer's still alive. So I said, take some more pictures of the blood and send it to me. So he did. He sent me some more pictures, and I thought he was lying to me. I'm like, you're messing with me. There's no way that deer's still alive. Long story short, uh, he ended up going back in there about six hours later. The deer was dead. However, he shot that deer, again, 30 yards with a fixed blade. When it impacted the deer, it busted the blades off, the mechanical. When it came out the other side, it looked like a number two pencil. When he opened that deer up, only the closest portion to him of the lung had been cut with the blade, but just barely. So it was literally just a little pinhole that that deer was living on through its lungs, which is why it was still alive after an hour and a half, you know, after he started tracking it. Um, So that was interesting to me. And and I think what that comes down to is the speed of the bows now. They're faster. And um, I don't remember, which I would probably never say anyways, but I think it was an off-brand mechanical broadhead as well. And so I think a little bit cheaper on the make. Yep. Has something to do with
0: it, too, so. Yep, and I mean that's one argument of the mechanicals is that those blades, yeah, they give you a nice cutting diameter, but to make them work and not get too heavy of broadhead, they gotta cut down on the amount of steel. Absolutely. They're flimsy, they can break easy, they bend, so that's unfortunate that I mean, (laughs) again, the other thing, too, is like, yeah, like you said, you gotta test it, even if you're a crossbow shooter, shoot that mechanical and make sure that it can handle it, because like you said, there's what the newest one now is, what, five, five 500, 550 for feet like per second? for, yeah.
1: And they're, they're moving. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so we did the, the 50 tracks for archery. Um, of those 50 tracks, we recovered 28. So we were, um, you know, we had a pretty good success rate on that. Again, I, we could go back through and kind of look mm-hmm. at all those tracks and break them down even further. Um, but I, on my end of it, not recovering that deer is mostly a guess there's a few things um that you know go into that to kind of prove one way or the other why i believe that but so we had uh uh, firearm tracks we did five uh three of them those were rifle two were muzzle loader um and i just broke them down even here just to kind of show what rifle they were 6.5 creedmoor 243 350 legend and then 250 caliber muzzle loader um so We recovered one out of the five. Um, That was opening day rifle season. It was the 350 Legend. Um, Actually, a lady I tracked for last year called me up and said, hey, I shot a deer, and her husband had actually videotaped it, sent it to me, and I was just, like, in shock that he was even calling me. He said, I can't believe we haven't found this deer the other side to that too was is if you remember back on opening day last year it was snowing like crazy Mm -hmm. so from the time they called me till the time we got there there was like three inches of fresh snow so all the sign that was even potentially there was gone and uh we ended up recovering that deer it was like two if i remember right it was about 230 yards from the shot site and it was a perfect double lung shot just didn't bleed there was just nothing there um and so i'm not here to discuss calibers and and all that but you know there there's obviously something to be said about different different shot placements
0: yeah same thing too i mean i mean what what brand of bullet did it expand did it break up sure yeah Yeah.
1: so um yeah so we had a couple and then out of those 55 tracks that we did obviously we found the 28 29 if you include this one for the uh, firearm so 8 of those deer we got were confirmed alive. Now, that was either seen on the hoof trail camera shot by another hunter during the season. And those really are only the 8 that we got proof of. That's not to say that cuz a lot of the times actually uh 3 weeks ago, 4 weeks ago, I got a phone call from a guy that didn't call me during season and said, "Hey, I wanted to let you know that I did get another picture of that deer." So, how many of those people that got a picture or seen it again just didn't didn't remember or forgot to call me and said hey we seen that so sure um, so yeah kind of kind of cool to get those because that kind of gives you that closure a little bit yeah to let you know whether you were right or wrong you know um, and then from there I just broke down you know how many yards we did
0: mm-hmm. and,
1: and I really wanted to just see kind of an average so we did uh in total of the 55 tracks we had 40,242 yards which equals out to be 22.86 miles that's a lot of walking and that's only during track that doesn't include going back to the truck that doesn't include walking to the shot site that doesn't include you know so um, that was just in general from the start of the shot point till the end of the track whether we found the deer or we closed it out yeah. which interesting to me is the average track distance is 732 yards um, and i thought that was kind of some cool data just to see because that gives you an idea of if you make a crummy shot or a shot that you're really not too awful sure about what's the chances you're going to stumble across the deer within 700 yards if you're just grid searching off of nothing right, right. you know so that was what i thought was kind of interesting data to, to kind of prove to people now granted we tracked deer that went 110 yards and we tracked deer that went two miles
0: yeah because definitely this like this data were the for the yardage um it would actually be more interesting to find out you know how shot placement affects that
1: yeah um yeah that that would be uh something to break down to and i again i have all that data if you want if you want to sit down with me we can do that um but you know when you break down where the deer was shot and i can only tell you 29 deer that i know where they were shot right because we found those deer yep um i can tell you eight other deer that were confirmed alive where they were shot or most likely because those people either seen them or got a picture you know so i can say yep we were right we thought it was a high shoulder shot and i got a picture of a deer from a high shoulder shot that the guy we tracked for three weeks ago you know so those deer i can put together but um yeah i mean just the overall knowledge of having this kind of gives you a broad range to kind of look at and say man if i if i double lung a deer it's going to go this distance but that's all out the window because deer are resilient and they're going to go as far as they want to go until they expire
0: now um say like you said 732 yards for your average your longest was and that was with recovery was 2600 yards correct so i mean and do you remember how long you know how long that deer sat
1: i'd have to go back and look and see which track that was to really give you an idea of which which deer went that distance before it died um i don't remember offhand yeah which one that was
0: yeah because again that would be an interesting one of again knowing the shot placement but again
1: yeah yeah i mean i could look up that and find out for sure which deer that was that had had been shot at you know that and went that far i mean was it a lung shot or uh, i'm sorry a liver shot or a gut shot i i don't remember offhand but right that one now that i think about it that very well could have been one of the deer that we had that ended up having to have another shot put on it yeah um
0: which would make sense i mean
1: i think it was yeah
0: yeah because i mean there would be no other reason why the deer would make it that far if it was mortally wounded and
1: yeah and that was you know and that's that's part of with the 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 year coming up now having the, the the ability to have the hunter have their weapon during the season uh we actually had two instances last year where deer were shot in the front legs and and i say front legs um i mean right below the actual brisket of the deer and through both front legs okay which obviously they take off right away they they kind of know they're hit but they've they've still got the use of those legs um but almost to a t both shots were exactly the same Hmm. and uh they both went a lot further than I ever expected them to on virtually two legs, right? Their front two legs were inoperable, but, um, had we had been able to carry the weapon of the season, we probably could have shortened those tracks up just a little bit, but because we couldn't, we'd push that deer, we jumped it, it ran a ways, it bed back down and we'd tried to get close enough for the hunter to say, okay, it's right there. And then obviously at that time I had to back the dog out, but, It worked out in both cases. We were able to back the dog out, go back to the vehicle. The hunter was able to go back in there with their weapon um, and then obviously take the deer down and and it worked out. But uh, both of those deer were shot with bows. One was a crossbow, one was a compound, and both mechanical blade broadheads.
0: Yep. Well, I mean, and again, the other thing too is like it it does show with these yardages that you have listed out um, is that. You know how long someone's going to be able to maintain doing a blood trail by themselves right you know that's a lot of sign to be able to keep track of yeah. on your own for sure so again if you're looking at 700 yards i don't want to follow pinpoint blood for <laughs> 700 yards
1: yeah yeah it could definitely get uh tiring for sure because you know there's a lot of times too i mean and your track was a perfect instance of it i mean we went 200 and some yards um but it had rained and there was virtually no sign Mm -hmm. there was a little bit but not enough that you would have been able to jump on it and just follow it from a to b i mean it would have taken you a lot of time to get to that deer yep and so you know there's a lot of times too where we'll do that i mean now with that said you know i'm following behind a dog so i'm reading my dog more than i'm doing anything but um you know a lot of times i'm looking down trying to say hey is my dog really doing what I'm supposed to be doing or is, are we off and should we be somewhere else? And so I don't see that blood all the time, but most of the time, you know, there just isn't any, there's Mm -hmm. not much to go with it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I had two instances. I mean, I called you the uh, one day at two, um, same thing. I had blood at blood impact Mm -hmm. and then make it 10 yards from there and nothing. (laughs) So, you know, again, you know, when it like for that first one, like you said, it rained, it was misty when i where you walked that trail where i thought the deer went the only blood i found outside of where we had that initial blood right at the impact that she must have ran into a tree because there was a blood stain on a tree but that was only 20 yards from where she laid
1: right close to where she
0: was at yep so. and again it was probably just because be, being on the side of the tree and there was a good little patch where she clearly right. bashed right into it right. where there was enough blood where it didn't get washed away the second one basically i knew the direction of the travel So I went around the other side where the thicket was and found blood about Ah, 50 yards from there there. and then was able to follow from there. So, you know, again, if I didn't, you know, put two and two together knowing where that deer had gone, if she had turned somewhere that I wasn't expecting... ...out of
1: there before you got to the other side or whatever.
0: Yep, it would have been a hard trail where, again, having the dog work, (laughs) would have been able to follow that deer even if there was no visible sign. Right, right. So.
1: yeah. Yeah, so, um, and then obviously you know i took the that information and then i broke it down even even further and the confirmed or known shot placements i have obviously absolutely no uh indication otherwise than what we have and so um you'll you can see i broke it down lung to guts to lung liver and guts to liver and guts i broke all that down and uh Um, it's just interesting too to, to really see what each shot was and the ones we found versus obviously, again, we're unknown or only suspecting where we were guessing they were shot.
0: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: you'll notice on the shot placement confirmed or known, it says shoulder. Well, how do you know that? Well, I got a picture from the deer on a trail camera that's got a giant hole right in his shoulder blade. Pretty good chance. That's where he shot it. Yeah. Okay. So. You know, and and again, the unknowns or suspected, those are just going off, me going off of what, what you told me. You know, so um, just like when you called me last year, every single person that calls me, I break down right from the get-go. I ask in the 15 questions. And and that helps me build this profile for you to decide. It's It's not a matter of if I'm going to come and track for you. Um, I had an unfortunate circumstance last year a a guy had got a hold of me wanted me to track for him And I sent him my list It doesn't matter if I send you the list or not That's not me saying that if you don't fill this out or answer my questions I won't track for you, but it helps me build the profile and he was he refused to do any of that and Unfortunately, just didn't work out for both of us and, and we kind of parted ways at that point, but It's not a matter of will I track for you or not. It's just helping me build the profile because now when you tell me that you shot it back behind the last rib and the deer ran 100 yards, stopped, flickered its tail, and walked off slowly for the next 15 minutes till you lost sight of it, well, that now tells me that we need to wait at least 12 hours. So helping me understand what happened during your hunt scenario will help me decide on how we go about that track. It's not a matter of whether I'm going to track for you or not. You know and that and that was and that's kind of how i break all that information out and that just helps again for future reference build this into some data for hopefully future reference
0: yep and that's the other thing too like especially to you know thinking about it is that so you did 55 tracks last year Yep. like how many hunters do that many tracks like in a season or right potentially even a lifetime
1: right so i was actually thinking about that this morning on my way over here um you know, thinking about prior to me even deciding to do any deer tracking with a dog how many deer do you shoot a season let's say two right okay how many seasons have you been hunting we'll say for easy math 20 okay so you take and say okay i've been on 40 tracks but did you shoot two deer every year probably not so let's say 32 just just for a number so you went on 32 tracks in your entire lifetime I did 55 in one season. So I followed behind a lot of different deer and seen the sign. And again, I'm not a professional. I'm never going to claim to be a professional. Um, You're going to learn something every single season. You're going to learn something new. And unfortunately, we can try to pretend that we know what the deer are going to do, but every single deer is going to do something different. And it's all dependent on the scenario. And I really, truly believe, too, the location of the deer. You know, a deer that's gut shot, um, you know, in or close to a woodlot with a field is going to act different than a deer that's in a swamp. You know, there's just, there's that play of, you know, if you're close to a swamp, that deer can get out of cover, into cover and out of sight pretty quick, but it might be standing in the edge of a cornfield and it has to run a quarter of a mile to get to woods. It's going to do that. Even though it's still gut shot, guess what? It still wants to get out of, into cover, out of sight. So, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a learning every single day that you go out into the woods it's something something new.
0: Yep. And again that I mean the big thing of that is like yeah, you got to see fifty five different scenarios mm-hmm. and sort of the next one you can be like, Oh, I've kinda of seen this before. Yeah. Here's, you know, kind of some predictors sure. of what could happen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that and that all comes with experience, you know. Um and that's part of why I do the questioning. I do it the same every time and the reason for that is because number one I know the answers that need to come or I I should say I know the questions that need to be asked and I can get your answers and if I do it the same way every time I can build not only this data but I can also build that experience later down the road so when we get out into that scenario and I'm like okay he said he shot it here and this is how the deer reacted I should see some of this sign it might not be every time but I should be able to put some of that together. Now, with all that said, part of my job when I'm tracking is to watch my dog. That's that's really what I'm there for because my dog's doing all the work. I'm just following along behind. Whether I'm looking at the sign or not, she's the one that's telling me. And so there will be times, and, and this really came full circle for me last season after probably about midway, um, I really started to figure Willow out. I really started to learn how she tracked. And, uh, there's cues that I'm starting to find with her, whether your deer's dead or not. And it may sound silly and it may kind of be weird for people to say, yeah, right. You don't know that. But, um, I can tell when Willow knows that the deer's dead. And I know that when we've been on a trail for 900 yards and she really starts picking up the pace, she's telling me that deer's still alive and she's trying to catch it. Oh, okay so and how do i know that because of the deer that we had through the front legs when we got close to those deer she knew that that deer was still alive and she wanted to go like right now i know that deer still alive because they're putting off so much more scent you know when you're taking a deer that's wounded mortally in the beginning of the trail they're kind of i'm sure at some point it's up and down but for the most part it's kind of a constant scent pattern until they expire but when you take a deer it might be let's say hit through the front legs there's a lot of that scent right off the bat kind of peaks out and then as that deer starts to think like man maybe i'm not going to die but i'm still hurting that scent maybe dissipates just a little bit but when we get close and we jump that deer again all that adrenaline all that scent dump gets happened again and we get close to it and that peaks again and the dog knows that she can smell all that she knows when we're getting close to that deer she can tell that that adrenaline dump happened again and it gets her fired right up and she might only be 25 pounds but let me tell you when she's ready to go she's going
0: yeah so i guess like so for like a deer that's that she believes is dead does she just kind of keep it even keel the whole way then too for the most
1: part Yeah. I mean, it's, it's all dependent, but for the most part, she's got that, that track. So from start to finish on a deer that's mortally wounded, and we'll just say for easy 500 yards, she'll pretty much start out in the same pattern that she does on every deer. Um, A lot of people kind of, it's kind of comical to watch, but uh, you know, when we get to a spot, she'll start out, she'll kind of scent the area sometimes. And I think she did it with your deer. She followed backtrack about 10 yards before she jumped back on the track again. A lot of times what she'll do is she'll kind of go the direction that that deer came from. She's kind of sniffing around to decide whether that's the deer she's after, and then she usually jumps back on the path.
0: Well, I don't think she did that, but the one thing that um, she did do that you kind of explained to me is that she was like 10, 15 yards, like downwind of where I thought the deer had gone out of the field.
1: Yeah, and so once she gets on that scent, scent profile she'll start down that path now what what she definitely did with your deer she was off the side about 10 yards and i think i actually looked it up on my phone once we found the deer and i said yep we had a south wind last night because what happens is after 14 hours of that wind blowing from the south it pushed all that scent over to the one side so even though there was blood over here all that scent got pushed over to the one side and that's where she wanted to be so you know she was in the scent cone for her we were like okay are you sure yeah but she knew and that's again that's part of reading your dog and learning yes she's tracking or no she's not and so that's probably been one of the biggest things over the last for me last year and like I said about halfway through the season that I really really started to become uh, excited about because I was really starting to figure her out I had a hard time the first year I didn't I didn't really know what I was I didn't really know what I was doing. Sure. I mean, I had an understanding, but I didn't have the understanding of my dog. Mm-hmm. And after last season, I would I would show up to places and I would tell guys, you know, about three quarters of the way through the season, if your deer's dead, I'll know within the first couple hundred yards because she's going to tell me. She'll know if the deer's dead or not. Plus, and, and again, that's not the only thing. I don't hone in on that and say, yep, that's the only reason. Plus, what you've told me, what we found for sign and what we see during the track. So we can kind of put all that stuff together and really make a decision. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's not a very easy feeling for me to go on a deer. You've called me for a service. The service is you want me to find your deer. So for me to be like, yeah, I don't think we're going to find your deer. That's not easy for me to tell you. Right. Um, so I want to put forth as much effort as possible. And, and I hope That anybody that I've tracked for in the past that has called that I've gone out if you ask them today did you feel it was worth having them I hope that they would say yes because I want to make sure I don't come out and run my dog for a half hour and be like nope sorry I can't find it a lot of the times on deer that I don't find I've tracked for three or four hours and that's not just tracking it's okay we're gonna go over here now now we're gonna go over here and it might be after we've exhausted all efforts of trying to advance the track now we're searching areas because once my dog gets near a deer any deer that she can smell that would be dead she knows she's not stupid um so we we try to exhaust all that effort too to get that hunter i'm not trying to make you believe that i know what i'm talking about i'm trying to get you to believe what i'm showing and telling you is the truth so that I don't feel or you don't feel that I'm ripping you off.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, I thought about that too. Um, You know, like you said, if you're going out by yourself and you have a hard track, like, okay. Like, there's a lot of variables you don't know. Sure. You bring in a dog, they stack your odds a bit. Yeah. But it's still not guaranteed. No,
1: no. Unfortunately, it's never a guarantee. Yeah. Um, And you know, one of the biggest things, so I actually had a, um, a, a lady I tracked for last year Um, she called me up and she was quite a ways away it was like an hour and 45 minutes from my house and so i told her i'd be willing to come up there she gave me the scenario and i said you know from what you've told me it, it doesn't sound great but i'll still come if you'd like me to and i learned some from that but she learned exponentially more than she ever would have just by doing it herself and it was a unique situation they tracked the deer a long ways prior to me even getting there And they followed pretty much a walking blood trail. So right there off the get-go, it went like, I want to say it was like 0.75 miles prior to me even being called. So that's already a long ways on a walking blood trail. Yeah. So I'm already kind of like, eh, it's probably not looking good, but I'll come if you still want me to. And what I was able to do for her, and again, I'm still only guessing, but I was able to find the bed that the deer, she, she couldn't find that bed. The dog found the bed and i was able to kind of point out to her you could clearly see in the leaves where the deer had bedded down you could see the front legs you could see everything and all the blood that was in there was right at the very very front between both front legs most likely a brisket shot Mm -hmm. okay so now i put together not only the bed the walking blood trail the amount of blood and the reaction of the deer you probably most likely shot the deer through the brisket, most likely a grazing shot. She found the arrow. I mean, everything was right there. And so put her mind at ease a little bit more that the deer's probably never going to die from that, but here's where I believe you hit it. And so it took that little bit of education to just show her, you know, here's what you're looking at. Here's why I believe that. And uh, she was able to actually, um, I think it was a month or so after that she went on Facebook and left a review and just said, you know, I I helped her out so much that educating her, and that's kind of what I want to do too, is educate people. Uh, Again, I'm not a professional, but from what little knowledge I have now, build that to people and say, hey, next time you shoot a deer and you believe this is what happened, you might be able to take just a little bit of what I told you and put that into that aspect and kind of make your own assumption.
0: Yeah, because those those brisket ones are tough too because don't they bleed quite a a bit and so it kind of gives you a little bit of a
1: it's false hope in a lot of people's mind Mm. um and that's what i have to try to put together to some people i I did two tracks in one day last year both of them virtually walking blood trails virtually for over two miles apiece (laughs) oh jeez so in your mind as a hunter You want to believe, like, man, my deer's still bleeding, and it's been two miles. He's got to bleed out sometime. But in reality, what deer that's mortally wounded goes two miles? Not very many, if any.
0: Right. That's a walking
1: blood trail. You know, so um, those are the tough ones, and both of those deer were confirmed alive later on. Yeah. So that was cool that, um, you know, I I put forth the effort to—because, I I mean— I could have stopped after a mile and a half and said, your deer's not dead because I knew the sign mm-hmm. when I kept pushing forward and I kept moving. And, and we finally, I think the one we came to a point where there just wasn't any blood anymore at all. And the other one, we came to a point where, uh, we got into a property line issue. And I said, you know, if you guys want to get permission, we can. And the guy was an older gentleman and he, after two miles, he's like, I'm done. I think you're right. And both of those deer were shot exactly where I thought they were, which was high uh, back straps.
0: Yeah. Now, on those tracks where, you know, the sign isn't looking good or, like you said, if you're reading Willow and it seems like that deer's life, like, are you pushed a little bit to try to see if you can at least catch up to that deer? Or um, is it, or is that really not really yeah. that big of a concern for you?
1: So, it, it all depends on the scenario, um, you know, what you say, where you thought you shot it. The sign that i have i'll keep pushing on a deer as long as i keep finding sign i'll keep pushing on a deer until either a the hunter says yeah i think i I don't think we're going to find this deer or i've decided that or we get to a point where property line issues which we have sometimes um but i'll keep going on a track until we don't have any more sign or we find the deer now we had one instance where we continued we continued we continued and we jumped the deer and you could have been like yeah i don't think that deer was shot at all you could tell it got up and busted out of there like nothing happened like
0: nothing was wrong
1: and so um you know and especially those ones that are 15 to 20 hours old and you jump a deer and it doesn't even look like it's been injured and you know you're tracking on a walking blood trail and it's most likely been shot through the back straps kind of hard to keep pushing on a deer that's still alive um, knowing that you probably won't get a follow-up shot no matter what yeah. So.
0: Uh, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, you've collected a lot of data that, especially, most people aren't going to be able to compile. Like I said, even in a potential lifetime sure. of, you know, different tracks, the type of uh, take that was, you know, part of that. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess we'll we'll wrap this one up now because we've gone through the data. Um, I do want to talk two things. Yep. One with the new dog, with Scout. Yeah. You know, again, you he's been showing a lot of potential, and we talked about a little bit that because Willow, you know, is not her breed is not known for, yeah, for tracking. <laughs> you know that, you know, as a terrier, you know they do have that kind of heritage as still a working dog. Sure. Um, but now Scout, he's the I never get the name right. Louisiana
1: Catahoula Leopard.
0: Catahoula. Dog. Yeah, Love for dog. And those dogs are for, I mean, known for tracking. They were tracking.
1: originally, yeah, for hog hunting down in Louisiana. They're the Louisiana state dog. Um, there's a lot of people that have them for tracking purposes and kind of a, you know, kind of a last minute deal. Uh, my wife had found a breeder that had one and uh, I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted another one right off the bat or not. But we just dove into it and said, sure, why not? And so um, it, it's been interesting to say the least, to do training with him. Um, He's going to be a pretty good dog, I think, for tracking. And it's not only because he's... So the Louisiana Catahoula is a bloodhound, a mastiff, and the native red wolf. Um, He's got that natural instinct for tracking. He's got the natural instinct for the ability to follow a track. And the cool part about it, for me now, understanding how Willow works, he is so much easier to read. I can follow behind him and know exactly what he's doing versus before when I was following Willow I didn't know if we were going left or going right I had no idea so following behind him is much easier to read and follow um, he's got the long tail he's got the big floppy ears he's pretty cool to watch on a, on a track fortunately I've been out um, you know doing some training with him this season but I was able to get him on a couple crop damage permits a couple weeks ago uh, on some live deer and he did really well pretty excited about that so it'll be an interesting season to see how things pan out Um, everybody's been asking how are you going to do that and i'm not sure yet how i'm going to play out having two dogs trying to run um, tracks but if people still have uh, known kills that run you know 60 plus yards that that they want to call me i'd love to bring scout out on them Um, i'll probably still try to run them on a few tracks that you know, I know there are pretty good chances of, of being dead. If it's close enough to home, I'll probably take him first. If it doesn't work out, I always have Willow for the backup. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about having him as part of the, the team this year. It'll, yeah. it'll be
0: interesting to see. I'd be more worried about Willow. Because you already told me that you oh, took yeah. him on a track, and Willow knew that where he had been. <laughs> yeah. And she's real particular. She is,
1: yeah. So I know last year we talked um, – when we did this, uh, I, I discussed, you know, Willow at the end gets pretty uh, aggressive. And I, and I don't want to say aggressive, but she's just uh, possessive over the deer. And it was more like, hey, found the deer, maybe lick the nose, maybe lick a little blood. And that was kind of the end of it. But about halfway through the season, now our new fun game is is pulling the fur out. Mm. Which a lot of tracking dogs do. Yeah. Um, and so uh, good and bad. <laughs> I mean, it's good because that's that's her treat now. That's her reward. She wants to do that. Bad part is, are you going to mount that deer? Because if you are, I'll stop her.
0: Yeah. Are you doing a (laughs) K?
1: So most of the time she'll go after the rear end of it, you know, somewhere in that backside. But, um, yeah, I always have to ask people. Yeah. So that And that's going to be the biggest thing for me is finding out what gets Scout going because, you know, Willow, Willow has found now that that's what she wants. I mean, I do practice runs with her all the time, and we get to the end, and she's like, wait a minute what happened to the deer There's usually a big deer laying here and i get to play with it and this is kind of boring yeah um and with him training you know running practice tracks he gets to the end and he's not really been that interested in the deer leg i've tried treats i've tried human food i've tried some other stuff and he's just kind of like yeah whatever i think he enjoys just being out in the woods walking and i think that's more of what gets him going um but then when we found those live deer he was a little standoffish at first, not really sure about him, kind of like yeah, okay. And then after the second one, it was kind of a little bit better. And then um, he got to play Willow's game, which is following the deer out of the woods, being dragged, and he thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> so I think I, I think that uh, we'll, we'll definitely find out here shortly how uh, how he does with all that. So. Yeah,
0: yeah, I'll be like I said. I mean, it'll be interesting trying to run two dogs and yeah. try to balance that out. But um, you know, having that. You know, I mean, I don't see why that would be necessarily a bad thing, having two potential no. dogs, especially, like you said, if you get a long track and Willow starts yeah. getting tired or or if, like, this seems like she's having a hard time or maybe if you take one on right. Scott on one, he has a hard time. Sure. You got that back of being bringing a fresh dog. Yeah,
1: I think where, where it'll really benefit me um, is probably in another year or two when they're both fairly seasoned. Mm-hmm. And I think what that'll do for me is... Um, I mean, obviously, there's going to be days that I'm just going to be tired, too. But, you know, Willow takes a track and it tires her out. She's just not ready to go for the afternoon. I'll have another dog as a backup. Yep. Or, uh, you know, we do three tracks with Willow one day, give her the next day off, and then Scout jumps in and does some, too. So it'll be a back and forth. Uh, There's also going to be determination on what the terrain's like. You know, Willow is pretty... uh, I guess I'll say she's uh, pretty determined about going. It doesn't matter where it's at, I'm gonna go. But there'll be times too where it's just gonna be more feasible for me to take a long-legged dog like Scout versus trying to take short willowed or short-legged Willow. So right, yeah,
0: yeah. But yeah, so I'm, I'm excited, man. I mean, again, it's gonna be pretty much like every if I'm fortunate enough to sing some ladder or some arrows at deer yeah i'll be calling you but hey man like this is what we got what do you think bring a dog
1: yeah so um and i i talk about it every every time i talk to somebody that's always interested in tracking or um anybody who's a hunter my phone number's out there if you need to call me call me even if it's for advice you know get give me some information i can tell you what maybe to do next or what the best option for you would be to do um the 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 bonus this year is again you call me and i'm busy i got another guy on backup yep um vice versa for him so excited about that um with that said brian and i both this year will be tracking by donation only again so um we found that you know there's people out there that just can't afford to pay for a deer tracking service and just a quick little story. I had a lady call me last year. Um, she had actually posted on one of the groups on Facebook that she was looking for a deer tracking dog, and a couple people had put my name on there. She was um, she was about an hour and a half away from me, but they had put my information on there. And uh, shortly after she made that post, she put another post out there and talking about you know wondering how much it would cost for a tracking dog, and uh, you'll get a broad range. You know, you'll get somebody that's paid for a dog before and it was $300 and you'll get somebody that put on there, there's some guys tracked by donation. And then you get everybody else that says, oh, they charge 150 to 300. Just depends on how far they have to travel. Well, it really deterred her completely from wanting to even call a tracking dog in because she didn't have any money. And so she ended up calling me and, um, I just explained to her like, look, I, I do it by donation only. If you don't have any money to pay me, that's fine i i don't care i this is why i do what i do and it's the reason is is because i want everybody to have the option and the ability to have the same opportunity to find their deer as the next guy and so uh, she was really off put by wanting me to come and i think it was more or less she just felt uh, guilty about having somebody come that wasn't going to charge her and uh, we went out there and we tracked that deer down it was like 565 yards Founder, deer, and that lady was so excited about that. She thought that was the best thing ever. Willow made a new friend that day. She was so excited. And, um, the, you know, the lady uh, just was in shock that I would even come and do that for free. But I found that doing those type of scenarios, uh, not only are you helping that hunter, but now I just she just passed my name on to how many other people that I can assist and help out.
0: Right. Yep.
1: Um, so Brian and I are both in the same boat. Both tracking for donations only. Uh we're gonna try to stick within reason close to our counties, but if you have a track further away, then you know, so be it. We'll we'll definitely try to get to you. It's gonna be a busy season, can be a lot of phone calls, but we're excited about it. Look forward to
0: it. Well speaking of which, let's recap again. If they want to reach out, where do they find your information sure. at?
1: So the the number one way, if you're interested at all, check out our Facebook page, Sun Hunter Tracking. Um, and and the cool part about that is you can go on there, you can look back on throughout the season of last year, also with all of our, um, training and stuff that we've done for the last few months. Uh, the other ways you could do it is either, uh, Michigan Deer Tracking Network, go on their Facebook page. They're going to have the list of all the trackers. And and that's not just for me, obviously that's all the state of Michigan. So if you have a, a place, you know, you live in Benzie County, but you deer hunt in the U.P., go on there and find somebody that you know has a tracking dog in that area you can get a hopefully get a tracking service the other ones uh, Michigan deer trackers they have a virtual map shows a map of Michigan gives you all the locations of the different trackers on there and then the last one would be the United Blood Trackers the UBT and they have a list of trackers on there as well so um, anybody that's looking to to find a tracker any of those three would be your best bet Um, and especially with the new changes this year you know even though you have to be registered, you want your your service to be somebody that has a dog that maybe not seasoned and the veteran most veteran dogs, but at least somebody that's out there doing it for the right reasons. You're not taking a dog that yeah my dog's wandered behind me before while I tracked a deer. You want somebody that's gonna you know have a dog that's gonna come out that's actually knows what they're doing and has the purpose of tracking deer versus just Yeah, let's just see if they can find deer or not.
0: <laughs> so. Right. But, all right man. Well, again, thank you for all collecting all this data. Yeah. And uh it'll be interesting to see like you said from next, like after this season. Sure. Do those ma- numbers match up or like sure. you said does it, everything flip-flop and you get yep. completely different data points?
1: And, and I, I still haven't convinced Brian yet. Um Brian's not much of a data guy, which is why he's joining, because he doesn't have Facebook. But uh, I wrote all this stuff down, and I was kind of telling him about it. And he's like, you're not going to make me do that, are you? <laughs> <laughs> so I do have a form for him that I'm hoping he'll fill out. Um, and, and it's going to be pretty basic. This is the basic information that I'd like to have, though. So right. it's pretty simple. I'm hoping I can get him to do it, because that's just that much more um, data that we can add to that and just try to build off of. Does it mean anything for me? Does it mean anything for you? Not necessarily, but it's information that we can at least look at and provide to people and just say, hey, this is kind of what we're looking at. Make your own assumptions or decisions off of that. But I think it's a it's a lot of fun just kind of sitting down and looking at it um, and having people be able to, to look back and say, oh, well, you know, that is pretty interesting to see. So
0: Yeah, yeah I guess there's a lot of anecdotal evidence out there. Yeah. Not too many people actually take the time and right, document and right. collect a bunch of data.
1: Yeah, and I didn't do it for the purposes of you shoot a fix and I shoot a mechanical. Mine's better than yours. That's not why I did it. But it proves, in a way, if you use this information the correct way, you can kind of provide some better argument points mm-hmm. versus just saying mine's better than yours.
0: Yeah, same thing. Like like we discussed at the very beginning of changing up my arrow setup. For sure. Because I'm, I want to be able to collect data. For sure you know looking at like hey the odds are you know i love fixed plays i'm a fixed play guy i love shooting them sure there are some drawbacks that you have to take in consideration
1: and 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 one thing that you know probably the biggest number one thing that i could say as a deer tracker is i put forth a lot of effort in the off season to make sure that my dog is ready for the hunter and one thing that we always try to say is I'd like you to do the same. Yep. And I don't necessarily think that every decision or every person that calls us is because they made a bad shot because they wanted to, but a lot of the tracks that we go on are just poor shot placement. And, you know, that's that's probably the number one thing is you didn't purposely shoot that deer in the shoulder. You just made a bad decision because he was facing you and you thought you could sneak it in behind the front shoulder. And you didn't. And so, you know, practice, practice, practice. Make sure you're shooting your bows. And um, honestly, I, I would like to see more hunters take the time to learn the anatomy of a deer. You know, we so many times as a bow hunter, we take time, practice shooting at your deer target and you pick out a spot. We're always picking out a spot. The dot. Okay, I'm going to put a dot on my target, and I'm going to shoot that all day long. Where's the dot on a deer? You ever seen a dot on a deer (laughs) besides a fawn? (laughs) Right. You ever picked out a spot on a deer that you're going to shoot? Yeah. But if you had the anatomy in your head, if you knew exactly where those vitals were at, you'd probably think about your shot placement a lot more.
0: Well, I mean, if you follow any Facebook page or any facebook page about hunting there's always you see one page or two or posts where it's like what a b or c where are you shooting mm-hmm. and there's always debate on that so yes
1: yeah and there's going to be debate on it all all that and and you know there's there's sides of it that you can every scenario is different yep the deer's face and broadside it's got its head up and it's looking the other direction you're going to pick a b or c well sure that's an easy decision to make now the deer's facing you on high alert. You're going to pick A, B, or C. Well, that's an easy decision to make. But in the time and in the moment when you're in the tree stand and that deer's standing there, do you know? Because a lot of the times, too, people always say well, the deer was broadside. Okay? How broadside was
0: he? <laughs>
1: Because what's broadside? Because broadside could be completely broadside. Or was it broadside, but he was really only... Just slightly quartering to you. That makes a huge difference in your arrow impact. Yep. Huge difference. Yeah.
0: I know. I thought about that. I think we talked about a little bit of that track that um, you and Willow did for me. You know, I was so conscious of, like, wait for the doe to put her leg, her front leg forward. Sure. Get that front leg forward. Yeah. Well, she had her head down eating, and I didn't think about it because I've seen plenty of videos of, like, deer. They're able to load up and duck so much quicker because they throw their head up. Yep dip their shoulders down, and I hit high. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't even consider that when I was making the shot. Like, I know better. But again.
1: But it all happened so fast. Yep. You know, and it's just one of those things to think about. And, um, you know, the the big thing to take away from all that is, again, if you understand the anatomy and where the bone structure really is, everybody wants to hug the front shoulder because where's the heart? Well, that's, that's, that's the money shot, right? Everybody you see on Facebook, heart shot heart Mm -hmm. shot i got a heart shot and everybody thinks they're like (laughs) captain cool because they got a heart shot but your margin of error is so much more you just moved back three inches and up two your margin of error is is bigger but you have a better success yeah just because a deer ran 30 yards and died with a heart shot okay it ran 60 and died with a double lung shot (laughs) so be it the deer still dies but now when you're aiming for the heart and you hit the front shoulder and you're calling me, where were you aiming? I was aiming for the heart. Cool. Well, here I am. No. I'm ready to track.
0: Yeah, so. at that point, then the next question is, like, well, how much arrow penetration did you get?
1: Absolutely. Yeah yeah and and again i'm not being pompous about it it's just education is a big thing Mm
0: -hmm. you know and that's one of the things that
1: i try to do a lot of when i go out and talk to people and, and track for them it's just education too i mean that's a big a big one and 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 again back to when we talked a little earlier about crossbows they have 20 30 40 in their rings but how many times have you practiced that yeah Or the big thing I see a lot of, too, is, yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, the deer were standing at like 30, I think it was like 31 yards. Okay, cool. So I'll get there, and I'll be like, where were you sitting (laughs) at? was up in that tree right there? I don't have a rangefinder with me, but I've hunted long enough. Hmm, you got a rangefinder on you? Yeah. Did you use it? Well, no. Then you range it, and it's like 47. (laughs) It's like, okay. Yeah, I so so if you have a rangefinder, use it. I mean, that's just the the point of that too is, you know, the, your distance. You yeah. know, it all happened so fast. I didn't get my rangefinder out, and I guessed the distance. Well, now I can tell you why you backstrap shot that deer is because you thought it was closer than it was, or it was you know
0: whatever. So you know that's a bit of a sore subject, man. <laughs> the it backstrap thing. Yeah. Well, that and I kind of did that this year. I missed my butt because I thought I knew what the range was. He was just five yards closer than what I thought he was at. <laughs> Shot right over his back. Arrow landed exactly where my pin was pointed at, that though. Put it so that, right where you wanted it. Right though. where I wanted <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think we kind of touched that on that at the beginning. You know, be confident and competent with your equipment. Know how it shoots. Like you said, put your fi- put your broadhead on. Yep. Shoot that. Make sure it flies, like you, like you said. Mechanicals, typically fly true to the most of the time for the field point, but you don't know until you try it.
1: And, and again, I mean, not all the calls that we have are are bad, poor choices. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people that call just because things happen and that's fine. And that's totally understandable. And that's why we're here. So we're excited about it. I'm looking forward to this season should be a good season, should be a busy season. It will be, but um, we're excited to kick off for the youth season coming up here in another what week and a half. Two weeks. I guess it's two weeks. Two weeks. Seventh. Yep. So looking forward to that. Got the youth season, the early antler list, and then after that we'll kick off bow season. So we'll be tracking um, for the youth season. We'll be tracking for free. So Okay. I mean, we do donation. Still donation, but. But we're going to just do it for free. Nobody's got to pay us for for the youth hunt that weekend. So we'll be excited to get out in the woods. and I know the dogs are excited. Yeah. Willow's itching.
0: Yeah, she's probably getting tired of this training.
1: Yeah, we've been watching a little deer hunting at home. You know, the weather's starting to change, so we've been watching a little of that, and boy, she is all excited about that.
0: <laughs> Do we got a quick second to talk about Absolutely. that? How she gets all excited just watching deer hunting?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous, actually. <laughs> so
0: if you haven't seen it, go to the, the Scent Hunter Tracking uh, what did you put it on the on your page?
1: It should be on there.
0: Okay, yeah. I didn't know if that was something the yeah. this Caitlin. If posted. not, I'll just
1: have my wife do another video tonight when we're watching it because <laughs> it's really something. so. This
0: dog is watching TV, watching the deer, and the moment the arrow hits the deer, she goes ballistic. Yes, she does. <laughs> starts getting super aggressive. Absolutely. <laughs> and is ready to go on track. She
1: knows what's happening next.
0: Yep. Yeah, yeah it's
1: it's pretty funny because
0: um, you know, I knew she'd put two and
1: two together with the deer. We were watching deer hunting one night and, um, you know, she she was laying on the ottoman and she kind of like looked up as deer was walking past the screen and you could just tell she was just like laser focused on, okay, now I know what I'm watching. I know what I'm looking at. And eventually there was a, a couple more deer that walked past and then she was on the floor watching. And then. Another deer walked past, and she was closer to the TV. And before you know it, you know, eventually the hunter shoots the deer, and she grabbed her ball, and she's shaking it, growling, and she knows what's happening. And now um, it's kind of ridiculous because we try to watch TV, and that's all you can hear is her growling <laughs> at the TV. <laughs> she just wants to go deer tracking. So. Mm-hmm. But I've also noticed two scouts sitting on the couch, and then he'll start, you can see his eyes kind of pep up, and he's watching the TV too. So, oh, so. Um, yeah, it's it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. All
0: right. But yeah, but that I mean again, we <laughs> we could just keep telling stories, but yeah, that was a funny one. That yeah, she uh, she's ready to go. Mm-hmm. But yep,
1: looking forward to it. So good luck this season.
0: Yeah, yep, and again, if even if you know if it's in question or whatnot, and you just want a consultation, reach out to a tracker. Like again, they've got absolutely a, a ton of experience, and they can give you some pointers as to what to do next. So but with that, I think we're gonna wrap this up. Sounds We've got good. you've got things to do this afternoon, so. And then uh appreciate you having me on again and uh yeah, good luck to everybody this season. Looking forward to it and All right, that's it. All right, take care. All right, so that's it for this episode with Calvin. Again, a lot of really good information that he presented and a lot of important points that he brought up. One that we kind of talked about a little bit, but Uh, Didn't really get into too much. Was you know the idea of calling a tracker doesn't mean that you messed up. Kind of hit on this point a little bit about making sure that you're uh, you know proficient with your equipment. You know how it shoots. You know kind of like what we talked about with the with the bow shooters, especially. You know making sure that you know that when you switch over to your broadheads from your field points, that they're hitting in the same spot that you've been practicing with all year. And then also for the crossbowers as well, same thing, double check, make sure that those broadheads are fine uh, with your crossbow the way it should be, and that you know the capabilities of the equipment that you're using. You know, that's one of the things that, you know, as hunters, we all know that things happen and mistakes are made, uh, but don't let your equipment, you know, not knowing what your equipment does or the capabilities of your equipment, uh, be the reason why that happens. You know, there's a lot of human error involved, especially when it comes to bow hunting uh, and that and we don't need you know mechanical failures uh, that could be prevented, uh, or performance issues that could be prevented to be the reason why you don't harvest that deer. You know, make that clear that you know, you know, we certainly understand that you know sometimes you make a poor shot, you know things happen, you know we're human, uh, but don't let that equipment you know not knowing how your equipment operates be the reason why. So I did want to clarify that a little bit. And again, you know if you're if you do uh, have a track that you need you know made. You know, if you look at that sign, it looks, looks questionable. Or you look, or It looks like it's going to be a hard track for you. Um, you know, if you didn't see that deer go down, if you are questioning how far that deer is going to make it, or if you know that it's going to be a long track, you know, one of the easiest things to do is, you know, start going on the track and then realize that you, you need help later. If you are, are suspecting that you might need help, give a dog tracker a call. They're going to ask you a lot of the information that Calvin's going to ask you, you know, shot placement, distance, what were you using? Um, just get some a basic idea of kind of what the situation is. <clears throat> and then they can even just give you some insight of what to do next, or they may come out, give you a hand with that track, and just be that little bit of a backup if you need it. So again, if you're, uh, you know, interested or you're considering reach out to a tracker, I'm going to have the information uh, for some areas to reach out to a dog tracker uh, in your area. Again, this is mostly for the state. So if you're outside the outside of Michigan, you know, I don't have that type of data, but if you're here in Michigan, you know, those resources will be linked down below uh, for you to be able to reach out to them. Um, you know, it's good to have that you know kind of your back pocket if you need them then to have to try to find them later again a lot of good information and some really good resources if if you need them um, so again you know don't hesitate to call and it's it's one thing that you know if you ever do uh, uh do have to call a dog tracker it's amazing watching those dogs work uh, it's kind of one of those things where I, I experienced that last year and it's one of those things where we realize just how much of an asset those dogs can be um when they're on point so that's it uh again we are at the doorstep of deer season so with that that's a wrap and as always get out there be safe and have fun